I can't believe how many families are suffering from this disease. I now know that addiction is a family disease. I thought no one in my family was an addict. I still feel scared to death every day. I don't know how to be a parent anymore. These past few years have been absolutely the toughest time of my entire life. My wife and I don't agree, and this is another big problem. I don't want this to be a secret anymore. That makes it even worse. If I have shame and guilt, how can my daughter ever get better? Being with other parents is being with people who really get it, and that helps me a lot. I've met some incredible people. I can help other people, and I feel better every time I just talk about all this stuff with my group. My life is turned upside down. Even when my son isn't doing so well, we seem to be okay. Talking with other parents helps me stay sane and not to feel so lost and alone. There are good people, good places to get help for my daughter and for our entire family. I have hope. I have to. I am not giving up my daughter. I want to help others. I've met some of the most special human beings. I'm very grateful. Talking with the other parents is helping me to stay sane. Hi, everyone. My name is Steve, and my now 31-year-old son is in recovery. It was uh, quite a period of not being in recovery, but it's even more incredible to me now, this time, seeing him emerge and create a, a new chapter in his life. And it's a whole lot easier for me now, for which I am I am grateful. And it is, uh, it's nice to uh, be together this evening. Hey everyone, I'm V. Uh, yes, we have two children uh, and the younger one has taken us on this uh, journey of substance use disorder and recovery and relapse and recovery and dot, well, uh, there have been some very uh, frightening times, but I'm uh, very grateful for so many of the people um, that I've met along the way. Hi, everyone. I'm Stephen. I'm the father of five children, the youngest of whom has a, or had a very severe alcohol use disorder, which he's now in remission, I'm happy to say. Um, as V said, yeah, quite a journey of recovery, relapse, recovery, relapse. Um, incredible. It's been great um, to go through it with uh, many of you. And I'm happy to say he's doing incredibly well. And I look forward to tonight's discussion. Hey, everyone. I'm Susan. Um, I have two sons and the youngest of them is going to be 24 soon. Um, and he is going to be celebrating eight years um, of recovery. <laughs> That's crazy. Hard wow. to imagine. Wow. Um, and. The older one um, is 25, and every time we meet, I describe him in a different way. And today, I think I've got to say, I don't think he's doing great. Um, I think he's really in it. And, um, you know, I'm just trying to, to do that dance of, like, be available, be supportive, keep the door open, keep the conversation open. Um but also stay in my own lane. So um, 
we all know how fun that dance is. Um, anyway, it's great to be with you all. Hey everyone, uh, my name is Shobhana. I'm a mother to a 23-year-old young adult son and a recovering drug addict. Um, and I'm a grateful member of this group of lovely parents um, who've helped me navigate a very scary and a very lonely journey um, until I met people who have been down this path. It was, uh, I, I thought I was the only one, believe it or not. Uh, but my son is doing better now. Um, not a whole lot of months to his sobriety, but we're both on our individual paths to recovery and healing. So grateful to be here. Hi, it's great to see everyone. Uh, I'm Bonnie, and I raised my son and my daughter as a single parent. Uh, and then about 10 years ago, just when I was getting ready to retire, my daughter was given a diagnosis of both bipolar disorder as well as substance use disorder. I'm happy to say she's now in recovery. She's got five years and 10 months, sane and sober. Um, but meanwhile, my grandson, who's 18 and lives out in San Francisco, um, attempted suicide two years ago. And I'm also very grateful to say that he's now back on track and he just started college. Hi, <clears throat> Hi I'm Peter. Um, it's wonderful to see you all. Uh, my wife and I have uh, two sons. Uh, the oldest has been struggling with addiction, life-threatening addiction, um, since high school. He's in his middle 20s now. Um, of course, our, our whole family has uh, has also been struggling, although for the first several years, we didn't know exactly what it was we were struggling with. But um, we've learned, and uh, our journey, like, as so many others, has been punctuated by relapse and recovery, et cetera, et cetera. And today, um, today he's in a very good place. Um, he's uh, back in college. Uh, he's coming up on a year uh, of sobriety. Um, and in in a in a good place for today, but I've learned to manage the the good days and the less than good days, um, thanks to rooms like this one and the people that I've met, like like the folks in this room. So really happy to see everybody. Hi, I'm Jill. Uh, I'm the parent of twins who are 27. Uh, one of them is an alcoholic. He had about a five year. Uh, journey of al primarily alcohol, some drug use. Um, he is coming up on just, just under four years of sobriety. Uh, it's so interesting because this time of year, uh, four years ago is when he really started to downward spiral right before he got into treatment. Um, and there is definitely a lot to be said for anniversaries and memories that really trigger, you know, just, just certain things about this time of year really trigger. So I'm really happy to be here tonight. Hi, my name is Jay. I have two children, uh, both in recovery. My daughter will be five and a half years next month. My son is around five years. He turned 29 two days ago. The over under was not, 29 was, was the over. And, uh, and he's alive and well, and um, it's a great feeling. And I love these meetings because I smiled about six or seven times already tonight. 
when each person said how long their child is in recovery. Puts a smile on my face every time I hear it, even if it's a day. Look forward to this evening. Hi, I'm Dr. Grant, uh, Dr. Christopher Grant. I am the, as uh, Steve said, clinical supervisor for young adult and teen male services at Karen. Um, initially started there as staff psychologist. Uh, this would have been about just over two years ago, but right when the pandemic started actually. And then uh, they asked me to step into this role and uh, it has been a fun ride. So I've been with the, the same unit since the first day I walked into Karen. Um, I, and people ask like, why? And honestly, it's because I love this population. Um, I love working with teens. I love working with the young adult guys. And it's, it is a lot of fun. Um, and there, I would say most of the time I'm interacting with them. It's, uh, it's not something that I have to write a progress note about. It is not a clinical interaction. It is just a fun, you know, conversation. Um, you know, the, the high five in the hallway that leads to, hey, you know, who's your favorite sports team? Um, and it is, you know, those interactions, and of course, the therapeutic interactions as well that I, I look forward to the most. Um, there are some guys when I'm there who, even though I introduce myself as a clinical supervisor, they don't realize that that's actually what I do. They just think, oh, he's the guy that shows up and talks to us and, you know, says some jokes and has fun with us. Uh, not that the other staff don't do that, but it is it's fun. My, my goal is not just to provide them that space of being you know, in treatment, but to also uh, let them just feel human again. Because when you talk to them, it's like that's one of the things that they feel like they um, made that they miss out on is just feeling feeling human. Like the teens, it's you know feeling like they miss out on their childhood, which many of them have. And then the young adults, like who's missing out on that transition that you know that we've been able to benefit from that they have missed out on. So um, that's a lot about me. I don't want to go over too much, but I mean, if you have any questions, you know, just, um, you know, just, just ask. Yeah. Well, Dr. Grant, I want to thank you for being here with us tonight. Um, you're a bit of a unicorn, uh, you know, a clinical psychologist, family specialist, addiction specialist. Um, and it sounds like you're very focused on personal connections with the population. Um, I can just imagine, uh, you know, that you're an awesome um, person um, up there on Magic Mountain. Uh, so welcome. Tonight, our topic is silver linings. And before I, I start on my topic reflections, I do want to acknowledge that with this brutal disease, there aren't always silver linings. There can be painful things that happen and that have ongoing negative impact. And as we know, there can be catastrophic loss. I thank the Lord every day that so far my family has been spared. My prayers go out to all of those who have not been as fortunate. Silver linings. I'd like to start with how proud I am of my son. As you guys know, he's seven years sober. He's working his butt off every day as a counselor and program director at a sober living, living enterprise, trying to help adolescent and young adult men recover from addiction. 
He's becoming an amazing young man, happy, connected, confident, mature, and making a real difference. He is the embodiment, in my view, of transformational and beautiful personal change, which, as you guys know, from the depths of where we were eight years ago, this feels way more than, uh, than a silver lining. It feels miraculous. The other big silver linings are that my son's addiction has changed me in transformational ways as well. Let's just start with this. I quit my job and my career six years ago to pursue learning about this brutal disease to help my family and to help others dealing with this disease. I definitely loved working on Wall Street, but it feels so damn good helping others move from hopelessness and despair to maybe having a clue and maybe a plan to deal with this monster. And this disease has also fundamentally changed me personally, starting with it has absolutely humbled me. It has made me comfortable with not having all the answers, with being vulnerable. I said it. Yeah, being vulnerable. Not exactly something that I, I had before. And sharing openly about embarrassing and nasty things that have happened in my family. I've actually learned to ask for help, particularly from professionals and experienced parents, including many of you. And accepting help is a huge change for me. I'm grateful for all these personal changes because I believe they've made me more human. That's also one hell of a silver lining. Thanks, Stephen. I, I really appreciated how you, uh, how you, how you framed that. Um, and I, I, I also wanted to uh, reflect on what Shobna said when we opened, um, and it really touched me that you said how, how lonely this, this journey had been. And um, how I remember that feeling, that horrible, horrible feeling of isolation, of not feeling there was anyone that I could really share or talk to about what was going on. Um, I didn't quite know that there were other people like me going through what we were going through um, and finding uh, a group of parents to talk to about all this has made such a huge, huge difference, as, as you said. And uh, I was really moved by that idea of being lonely. It's, it's a terrible, terrible thing. And uh, I guess, you know, not to overdo the silver lining business, but finding, you know, our tribe and going through this with people on either side, I, I you know, I always hope for the best, but um, I do know now that uh, if things get rocky or difficult, I, um, I, I, I have, I have my, I have my, my peeps around me and that's huge, huge. So thanks for that. I just want to say one quick thing. Um, mm -hmm. They, I don't think you can overdo the silver lining thing. There's enough really bad stuff that any little silver lining I grasp and I keep, uh, I don't think I, I don't think I can overdo it. Right. Great. You know, Stephen, you said something as you finished speaking. I wrote it down. You said it made me more human. And that really touched me. Um, you know, when I heard th this topic for the evening, the first thing I thought of is how easy it can be to become really Pollyanna about it. You know, my family is is better because of recovery. And that to me is just too simplistic. Um and although that is true, we are better because of it. When I really dig deeper and think about 
why am I a better person because of this journey I've gone through? I've, I've changed. I didn't think that addiction and recovery was going to change me as a mom or change me as a person, but it absolutely has. Um, I have learned how to just be present in my life, how to just accept the here and now. And that is something I went through 50 some odd years of my life, not knowing how to do that, not even realizing that is something I desperately needed in my life. And I only learned that because of recovery. And I take that with me, not just in my interactions with my son and my interactions with my family, but just in how I interact with people and how I view myself in the world. And to me, that is something so wonderful and powerful that has been a result of this horrific journey we've been through. Amen to that, Jill. Um, Yeah, you guys are my silver lining. Um, I'm not afraid to be Pollyanna-ish about it because um, what a gift, right? What an amazing gift to have this thing. Uh, we called it a tribe. Um, and um, yeah, you know, silver linings, my recovery, my husband's recovery, um, you know, our sobriety, our improved marriage and relationship, the improved, you know, the ripples that go out, the improved relationships um, with other members of our family, um, our, you know, whole life in recovery, which is so rich and uh, spiritual. And like Stephen said um, about humility and humanity. Um, And I got to and I also quit my job and am, you know, uh, changing careers and getting um, a master's in counseling so that I can uh, try to be of service to people who are, you know, in these shoes. And, um, and this morning I got a text from a guy I've known since he was about for like 30 years who says, you know, oh, my kid's in ninth grade and I think he's smoking weed and, you know, what do we do? Where do we go? And I'm able to just, you know, shoot him back a quick text and say, here's a couple of resources, read these things, check this out. Let me know if you need anything after that. That is such a gift in my life to be able to be um, helpful to people, you know? Yeah, Susan, you you plucked that thought right out of my brain. I mean, actually, so so many of the folks... um, um, you know, starting with Stephen, so much resonance um, with what you said because I I also experienced that just massive reframing of all the shit that I thought was important that I realized not so important. There's like really way more important stuff than what I used to think was important, and and all of those little you know tick boxes of you know of of, of progress of what I thought was progress, but. For me, like the silver lining, I will never forget. It's the first time I stepped into a room like this one. And I was, you know, I, and I, I don't think I'm alone in this. I, I never considered myself a group person. You know, that, like I was not a group activity person. And to find myself kind of scared out of my mind over what was going on with my kid, but also like, what am I doing in this room? And to be, and to uh, having been met with such incredible generosity, just, incredible kindness and generosity and understanding 
you know, of people who had been walking this road, you know, way longer than I had. And it was just, you know, phenomenal. And as you said, to be able to pay it forward, a few opportunities I've had to, to be able to help somebody who was in that position, uh, it's meant so much. Susan, you said something that like really, uh, I guess, highlighted uh, a, a point that we often talk to our, our new families, our new families who are interning recovery, um, about connecting to or connecting with other people who have experienced this. Because um, as many of you have pointed out, that this is a very isolating uh, experience, especially starting out. Um, and we have so many families that their, um, their loved one is going into treatment for the first time and they are completely scared and they feel completely alone. Uh, and I could put on my best clinical hat and say, you know what, this is what you gotta do. This is what you need to do. And they, they hear it, but often I hear from them and they say that the best thing for them is to be able to connect with other parents who have gone through this or going through this. Um, and I could even talk to them about some of my experiences with, with family members and they still, and I know that they're not being rude, but they, they just want to be able to hear from people who are going through it right now. Uh, and so this is a, a, a very you know, opportune uh, experience. Um, so I appreciate you know, being able to you know, take part of this. And, and Peter, I think one of the things that you also said really uh, resonated with me. Um, you know, that, you're, you know, that you're not uh, afraid to be open and, you know, uh, and, and share, and that's what uh, the families also need to be able to experience. Yeah, um, yeah, be, being open is just such, such an amazing gift of, of, of all this. And I think it just goes back to what Dr. Grant said opening up is that uh, feel, feeling human again, or what Stephen mentioned about feeling more human. I know one of the great gifts for me is uh, just appreciating things that are completely normal, <laughs> like waking up and, and not having to worry about my daughter beating on the door and calling the cops and, uh, and just waking up and having a simple cup of coffee. Um, or, or the other day, uh, she had a birthday last week, and there were 14 friends of hers from her AA group, most of them. And there was just such love and support, um, and and it was just a normal birthday party with a with a, you know flowers and a cake and candles, and uh, it, that was so fabulous just just to experience something um, you know uh, so so simple as that, and really really makes me humble too. This is great. <clears throat> you took the words right out of my mouth there um, about gratitude for simple things. Um, you know, what I find about the support that I get here, and this is really a gift for me, is um, like we pointed out, finding my tribe, but to also learn the language. There's so many words that I get thrown out. Um, I didn't understand for the first time when my son went to rehab and they, um, and I said, what are the next steps? You know, they they must have said something about, you know, uh, rehab. He was in the hospital first, but I didn't know that's what they were saying or alluding to. It wasn't clear to me. 
there's so much in that language. And, um, and another thing that I have learned through this is also finding words for the emotions and to pause and to, and to not react, but respond. It's a huge difference. And all it takes is a one second pause. Am I reacting or am I responding? That's been my biggest gift when my when I get triggered at work or, you know, I'm able to bring it to everywhere, work or grocery store or car or driving, doesn't matter. I, I bring it everywhere and try to see if I'm not being reactive. But gratitude really takes the cake because it's the simple things. It's the coffees, the sitting down and the peaceful moments, um, the pockets of peace that we find. But the tribe and, you know, finding words, I think, is is so crucial because this is a whole world. Uh, it's a universe in and of itself. I'm grateful to have learned the language now and become aware. So, so I just want to say that this whole experience has kicked me in the ass more than anything else in my entire life. And one of the many things is I didn't like the idea of silver linings. I heard people who had bad things happen to them tell me good things about it. And I think that's a bunch of BS. And now I think, how could I have had a life that didn't include all of you? How could that have been the kind of life I had without meeting some incredible people and and being exposed to to all of this is it painful of course would i get the choice that my kid should should be a drug addict i know the answer is no but i didn't get that choice so i guess the silver lining the way i have adapted for me is that okay so i didn't get that choice now what options do i have and and the options i had have been enriching and empowering and after all all the talk of being powerless and i couldn't control the outcomes it turns out i get to do some things and i get to choose to be with people and i get i get that experience and and that's for me my my, my silver silver lining uh, so you know it's interesting we in these meetings talk often about how parenting is counterintuitive when you're dealing with somebody with addiction and behavioral health issues. I think we're also discovering that silver linings are counterintuitive. Steve, you talk about how you know you had to go through all this pain and difficulties, but on the other side of it, you have this new, and we've heard this all night, this new tribe of people uh, that you've learned things about yourself. Um, I think Susan and Peter talked about the gift of giving back. And so, you know, what's interesting about it is that we received all these gifts from other people. So that was a gift to us. And then when we give them away, that's also a gift to us. Like there's nothing that feels better than actually knowing something and be able, being able to help someone else. So in this really weird way, helping other people is a huge gift to us. And so once again, this disease and this experience and this process, uh, you know, turns things on its head. Amen. 
So I think that, that I find a lot of silver linings in this. And I think that, unfortunately, my children suffered immensely, way beyond what my wife and I suffered, even though at the time it felt awfully bad for us. Uh, and I would never wish it upon them. However, they are better people now, I believe. They are definitely better people than what they were. And they're better people, I believe, than what they probably would have been. I know that I am. And, and it's been mentioned a number of times now that the little things in life just don't bother people. It's been mentioned this evening. I find it so true. It is just remarkable how I witness other people get all bent out of shape about what just doesn't seem very important. I truly appreciate the importance to them. It isn't to me. And I think it's healthy. I, I think it's very healthy that things that used to bother me a lot have no impact any longer. My kids are living and they're living well. And that's what matters. Um, so I think there are tons of silver linings. I might discuss some later, but that to me, I have a very fulfilling life right now because unfortunately my children had to suffer greatly. Yeah, I'm just taking in everything. I don't often hear this side of it. So um, you know, I tell all, all my guys when they leave, you know, call me, I wanna hear the good, I wanna hear the bad. Um, sometimes I'll hear back from their facilities that they're doing well, um, but I don't get to hear it from them or their family. So this is actually, uh, I feel very grateful to be able to, to hear this. So, uh, so while we're talking about silver linings, like, this is a silver lining for me to be able to hear this part uh, of you know, what I what I do every day, um, and you know there are some guys I, I know will go out and continue to do great things, and some guys are like I you know worry when they leave, um, and and some of those guys are the ones that I hear back from their facility and they're they're doing phenomenal, uh, but. To be able to hear it from them, hear it from their families, would I think would mean the world to me. Having this opportunity right now, yeah, being able to hear it from you guys, it's um, you know how your how your children are doing and how you've been able to grow uh, means a lot. So I really do appreciate the opportunity that this is. What a, what a difference in the perspective that Dr. Grant brings than me. When my kid left, I just assumed everyone who leaves rehab is is going to be fine. I would never have thought that that wasn't the case. <laughs> and, and I don't know, 25 or so rehabs later, I found out that that's not always the way it works. <laughs> but, so, um, it's, a, uh, it's, a na it's a nasty disease, DJ. And, uh, I, I've learned the, that. Our delusion is uh, part of it. Oh, uh, Jay, I wish, I mean, I wish we could, you know, everyone that leaves, you know, leave with a smile and high five from all the staff and some, they, they leave with their suitcase walking down the hill and mm. you know, yeah and then sometimes those are the same the same guys like they do great things when they when they walk down the hill and they go into their uh to the next phase of their recovery they're doing phenomenal um but yeah i wish you know you know wish it was always like that 
<laughs> Thanks, Dr. Grant. It's, it's really, it's, it's nice to hear that perspective. Um, you know, someone listening to us and, and hearing uh, sort of the outsider's perspective on that. So thank you for that. Uh, one of the things that I've been hearing a lot tonight was how important it was for us to have found our tribe. Um, and, you know, I remember that my son, um, when he drank, primarily drank alone. It was very isolative for him. He would primarily, his years in college, he would just, you know, hole up in his room and drink. And when he moved back home after graduating, he would just sit up all night long and drink and smoke. And it was very, um, you know, I felt the loneliness and the shame. And I know that he felt um, very alone. And he did find his people and his tribe when he got into rehab. And I followed what the experts told me and I went to groups. And I was looking to find my tribe. And I feel so grateful that I have now found my tribe, but it wasn't easy. And the, I remember the first couple of meetings that I went to, they were just not the right kind of meetings for me. Um, and I was desperate for support. And I was desperate for connection. And I was desperate for people to embrace me and say, it's going to be okay. And I didn't get that initially in some of the groups I went to. And it would have been very easy for me to just say, screw it, I'm not doing this. And to stay in my house and to stay isolated and to stay depressed and under my rock. And, you know, I just continued to persist. And I remember when I walked into the room where I finally did find my tribe, my husband and I looked at each other because we both knew we were there. And like, without saying a word, we looked at each other and, and we just nodded because we knew we had found our tribe and they have become the most important people in our lives. I love that, Jill. Um, I, uh, for me, I can't entirely separate my kids' uh, recovery from my own recovery. Um, I mean, it was, you know, my kids hit bottom that precipitated, um, my recovery. And I remember, um, you know, and I had been a drinker, um, for my entire adult and much of my pre-adult life. Um, and I remember going to, um, a meeting early on and hearing this woman say this thing that. I'll never forget. She said that when she got sober, she was like, what am I going to do now? And somebody <laughs> said everything else. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. Everything else, like all the stuff I wasn't doing, you know, all the coffees I wasn't meeting people for, all the hikes I wasn't going on, all the, you know, whatever trips I wasn't taking. Like there was, my life had become just it was like I had this rope and at one end of it was tied to my ankle and the other end was tied to alcohol and I was going around and around and the more I went around the shorter it got and yikes uh, yeah <laughs> and you know it was like I just that was like the vortex of my life and um and today my life is everything else you know it's like like We've been going kayaking. Who knew you could do that? Like there's all this amazing stuff going on out there when you're not drinking. 
kayaking as the silver lining. <laughs> so good. Yeah, I remember this wonderful list that was at Karen um, when we were meeting on the fifth floor, and it was kind of down at the reception desk, and it was about um, uh, what you know, what can you do. Uh, during the summer, when, now that now that you're sober, <laughs> it, was, it was pages long. It was fabulous, you, you know, swimming and just lying on the beach and enjoying it, and uh, it, it just, yeah, just amazing things. Um, let's see. I just wanted to touch back on a, a little bit about uh, how helping others and how how that's a gift to be able to give back, and uh, thinking about that especially with my own inside my own family, because of course, it's a family disease. And well, I had hoped when my daughter got into recovery that, you know, we were breaking the chains and learning all these things. But then when my grandson uh, also uh, went off the deep end, um, it, uh, you know, it was, it was really hard. But uh, the silver lining was I, I knew how to support my son and my daughter-in-law. I, I had resources actually here in New York that carried out to California that could support them. Some of them, they were just too overwhelmed to deal with. But I, I actually uh, was an honorary member of a group in San Francisco for parents of teenagers. I was a grandparent of teenagers. They made me an honorary member for a while. And um, it was just so great to have there's tools about knowing how to reach out and knowing, you know, um, what, what groups not to reach out to and what, what groups really were well-grounded and, and, and made a difference. So it was just much, much quicker that my grandson was able to get back on track and, and, uh, and begin his recovery journey. Yeah. That that phrase, the greatest club you never wanted to be a member of. I think I heard that. I think it was the, actually the second meeting I went to, and I didn't know like what the hell was that supposed to mean. Um, but it, it didn't take me long to to figure out what that meant. Um, and you know, it, it manifests itself in in such strange ways, and it and it does even even to this day. I mean, so so much of what I've learned about how to parent my my son who struggles with addiction i i i have been surprised but you know pleased <laughs> to to see that it applies very directly to to my younger son as well and while he doesn't suffer with addiction himself like everyone else in our family he you know he is dealing with this disease that is a family disease and and i've learned so much about the particular issues that accrue to siblings and particularly, you know, to, to people who are on the verge of, you know, uh, adulthood themselves and learning, you know, about the, the limits of my, of my power, learning about the extent of my powerlessness, learning to stay in my lane, all of those things that directly bear on how I deal with my addicted child also bear directly on uh, uh, you know, on, on my other child. And, and that has been a silver lining for me to, you know, to, to have that knowledge carry forward and, and to be able to, you know, to do for him at least, or, or at least to stand by and, and be, you know, be a support to him, um, has, has been really something. You know, one of the big, um, silver linings and, uh, you know, I echo all of your sentiments, especially around, 
service. Um, a big one for me is actually boundaries with my family or, you know, my, my family of origin um, and, and taking responsibility for my own mental health. I, you know, my son has a co-occurring um, had, continues to have, I'm not sure, um, depression and, and very severe clinical anxiety um, along with his substance abuse disorder. And um, I realized that, you know, I have to be in charge of this and I can't hand it over to other people to take, you know, give them a baseball bat and beg them not to beat me up. So that's basically what I was doing, putting my eggs in their baskets, so to speak, and to share things that, you know, they had no business knowing um, and they didn't know how to support. I know my parents love me, but they had no idea that about the disease. They don't know how to support. They don't know what to say, um, you know, and all I hear is blame. Oh, because you did this or because you separated from your husband or because, you know, they haven't heard about the three C's. So I have learned that it is wise for me, as much as I love my mom and dad and my brothers and whoever, that it is not okay for me to share my journey with them if I won't find the support. I have my tribe for that. So I'm not hiding. There's no shame in what I'm going through or my son is going through, but just that it is okay for me not to share that level of detail and to have those boundaries and therefore protect my own um, mental health. And when I do that, I have noticed that my children now watch and I'm giving them permission to hold boundaries with me as well. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, you know, there was one incident where I know my son relapsed. It was a short relapse. He didn't like end up back in the hospital or anything. And I didn't know about it or didn't learn about it for about four months. I didn't even know how to take it. He said, mom, I didn't want to tell you. And then I said, so what did you do? He said, well, I went back to my recovery group. I talked to my sponsor. I talked to my friends. And I said, perfect, perfect, because I am not part of your recovery group. I have my own. You have your own. I'm going to support you. But if you said you relapsed, what was I going to do? I'd have told you to go back to your meeting. So and therein, I, I appreciate my kids drawing boundaries with me, too. So um, just a couple of things. Uh, helping others was mentioned a number of times. Um, I believe and Dr. Grant can probably confirm it if I'm if I'm correct or not, that um, Helping others, charity and, and, and other altruistic behaviors releases dopamine. Um, you feel better when you do it. And um, it's a chemical, I think it's a chemical thing. So um, going to groups, you get a lot of help. And you also get a lot of help, or I get a lot of help by helping others. And, uh, and, and I, I jokingly say every once in a while, it's remarkable how selfish I can be and other people benefit. You know, coming to groups was all for me. I don't worry about other people when I first showed up. Um, uh, and, th and then one other thing, you know, life circumstances bring you to, to different kind of places. Everyone's life circumstances bring, bring them somewhere. My wife now works in the business. She has for about 11 years. 
she commutes. She lives in Connecticut five days a week and comes back to New Jersey on weekends. And when I tell people that, they look at me like I have three heads. That's ridiculous. How do you do that? It's awesome. She's helping people 24-7. It makes her feel well. Our life circumstances brought us to places that we never would have ever thought we'd be. In a million years, I would not have imagined being married to someone um, and, 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 and well into our marriage. She's living elsewhere uh, during the week. And it's great. It's just great. Um, would I prefer that she was home? Sure. If she could do what she does at home as well as she does it at her place of employment, she probably would. But she can't do it as well. So strange stuff. <laughs> strange world. Well, I couldn't agree with you more that it's a win-win, right? Helping other people. Um, you know, it's, it's great for them. Uh, you know, it's great for us. Um, and it really is a virtuous, virtuous thing circle. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about what Peter and Shobna said, because I've, I've actually experienced this as well. We were talking about, you know, uh, parenting the other kids. You know, in some ways, we've gone through the gauntlet with the most extreme parenting, you know, you can possibly imagine with behaviors that are so far off, you know, the, the spectrum of what's normal. Um, that when you start like whittling it down to basic essentials of setting boundaries and consequences and supporting healthy and unhealthy behaviors, when other kids or let's say our friends' kids, you know, are having issues, not necessarily addiction, you know, these frameworks are very useful, you know, for helping other people, right? Because, you know, if it can handle kids that brains are, you know, completely co-opted by addiction and it can move the ball in the right direction, certainly with healthy kids, uh, you know, these frameworks are extremely valuable. And so I find that not only, you know, are we able to just sort of give insights and perspective to people who are dealing with this disease, but even just everyday situations where, you know, kids are getting a little bit out of control or, you know, parents are, you know, enabling behaviors that are unhealthy, you know, in a, in a gentle way, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of easy for us because we've been through hell and back with this whole parenting thing um, and, you know, using these tools. That's, that's exactly right. Um, talking about helping other families or other people um, I can't tell you how many times people have asked me. So when your when when your son finished with rehab, where did he go live, or where did he go work, or what did exactly did he do, or what exact place did he go to, or how long was it before? Or did you help him with the rent? Or as if there were a formula to that. And I was very uh, moved by what you said, Dr. Grant, about something that I have also experienced, which is. Um, you said something about the guy that walks down the hill, takes himself out of rehab with his suitcase and walks away. And then you learn sometime later that he's doing great things. And um, I have seen that as well, time and time again. Um, it was sometimes at the time when people were so uh, impressed with how my son was doing that he was actually plotting and planning probably some of the worst days of his life. And, uh, you know, who knew? Uh, it, it's not such a simple uh, one-way road or a formula. And I think the, the hope that you 
reminded me of the hope about uh, who can make it and how they make it and finding their way and all that is, is just a huge silver lining to this whole thing. I think one thing that uh, Jay mentioned uh, about the, how dopamine is released when we're like in these groups and we're helping other people. I, one of the things that we often forget is like how that bond is formed and it's like that reinforced by that, that oxytocin that's released, which is, I think is just as powerful as that, as the, the dopamine because the dopamine is like, Oh, that feels great. The oxytocin, that's what brings us together and makes it feel great. Right. So we can hear these stories, you know, we can hear the good, we can hear the bad and still feel that connection. Yeah. And so we know that those times when there's going to be that, uh, that unfortunate story, someone leaves treatment before they need to, right? We can circle up our wagons around that individual and be like, Hey, you know what? Well, we got you on that. And I think a lot of parents fear that, that, that feeling that comes with that, uh, and also feel that support whenever that happens. Cause I know that for, for many, that's been the reality of going through treatment, going through this recovery process. Um, and you know, so the more that we're able to you know, bring people together, the more powerful that this movement can be for, 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 for everyone. There is uh, something maybe selfish in the sentiment that I, I used to hear about this gift of recovery. And I thought, what the hell kind of gift is that? You know, I mean, I need that like I need a hole in the head, as my mother would say. And now I'm the recipient of that in a way that is, it was unimaginable to me to, to, I'm getting all those dopamine and that other drug you talked about. And some other, I think it's all coming, it's all coming at me. Okay. And, and, and it's because of what's happened. It's what's happened in the recovery process that I have received all that. And, and what do they say about doing things that help yourself, but also help others? How powerful, how, 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 how sort of magnified that experience is when you, when, when you can do something that, that might help someone else, but is in fact making you feel so good, making you feel, feel so, so, so not like you screwed up as a parent, mm -hmm. that maybe there's some evidence that, that I didn't screw up totally as a parent. And maybe I get that feeling and, and silver lining. That's more like platinum lining. Okay. For me to, uh, uh, to, to feel that, that sensation. You know, I I'm going to paraphrase Jay. I'm going to poorly paraphrase him, but I've heard Jay often say, you know, I go to parent support group meetings. I don't know why, but I always feel better after um, you kind of have said something along those lines. And that is very, very true. You know, I go to at least two meetings a week, sometimes more. 
And I don't know what it is about the meetings. And I consciously make a decision to actively participate. To me, that is, that, that's important for me. And I always feel better at the end of the meetings. Um, I don't know if it's the oxytocin or the dopamine or whatever, you know, neurotransmitter is, is coursing through my body, but um, I always feel better. And one of the things I've actually learned from my son is the concept of doing the next right thing. And I've heard him say that quite often, and I've seen him put that into action quite often. And it wasn't until I started to try to do that also in my life that I said, wow, that really feels good. You know, it would be very easy for me not to participate in parent support group meetings right now. My son is almost four years sober. He's doing really well. He's navigating difficult life things on his own. He has his sober community. He's creating his own life. You know, it would be very easy for me to say, all right, I'm done with this and let's just go on. But I can't. I need to keep this in my life. Hey, Jill, I, I, I'm a little disappointed. I feel like you're cheating on me. My, my home group was Tuesday nights. So I didn't know that you went to another one also. It just doesn't, something doesn't <laughs> feel right about that. Um, Uh-oh, so. I'm caught. <laughs> so, I, um, Jill, what, what you were saying made me think of what might be, for, for me personally, the, the, the sort of most prominent silver lining I've experienced, um, and that is resilience. I have found in, you know, as, as I've navigated this crazy landscape of, you know, relapse and recovery and so forth, um, I have found, I, I shouldn't say found, I have learned a resilience that I, I never expected to be able to learn. You know, when I walked in the door, I had three emotional states, grief, fear, and anger. And, and that's what I was trapped in. And, and that's what I met every, you know, every, pothole in the road and the road was just mostly potholes then um with those one of those all of those three things and through coming to groups like this through listening to, to other people talk to listening through listening to people who knew more than i knew um, and that was basically everyone um you know i've learned that you know the good days are good but the bad days you know i can i can make it through the bad days I, you know, I can get to the other end of the bad days and, and, and see what tomorrow is, is going to bring, um, which is always something different. And, uh, you know, it's, it's through groups like this. It's, it's through folks like y'all that, that I've learned that. And I'm hugely, hugely grateful. Yeah. Peter talking about resilience, uh, kind of reminded me of that. It's that it's the 10th anniversary of Hurricane Sandy. Um, this this week and um, and I remember ten years ago my daughter was just uh, out of her I guess it was the fourth round in the hospital or third round um, and and in a sober house at, during during Hurricane Sandy and it was it was horrific because it was one of these revolving doors for people on parole and. And the counselors uh, were not able to get there, and uh, it was it was kind of a uh, whole nightmare scenario. And 
So uh, just thinking back to that and, and um, thinking back, I guess, I think it was Jill who was talking about anniversaries at the very beginning. Uh, these, these occasions always tr trigger memories of those, but I think facing those kind of life and death experiences like we did as a city with Hurricane Sandy, which which brought us to try to finally begin to address resiliency um, uh, for for our city as a whole. Um, but it's it's also those life and death experiences that, you know, in my family, people were perfectly happy to ig ignore all of this. So every, I mean, people were in total denial and and. Uh, and that um, that it they they brought everything to the surface and just made the recovery so 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 important. Um, so that's that's also been another gift of uh, just really uh, having having things surface and developing that resiliency over over time. You know, Bonnie, um, when Hurricane Sandy uh, hit. We had our own hurricane in our household going on at the same time. Yeah. Incredibly painful. And and it does remind me most poignantly of those that time 10 years ago when things were just unimaginable that were going on. And it, in some ways, the pandemic mm. has been better to cope with, easier to cope with, with using some of the coping skills that people passed on to help me cope with what was going on with our own personal family hurricane. And that's, uh, I guess that's a, that's a kind of, kind of silver lining that, that I never even had imagined, had thought about. I want to just add, you know, very quickly that, you know, celebrating victories, I think someone, I think probably B mentioned um, it's the little things and gratitude for the little things, but actually celebrating, taking a moment out to celebrate it. Um, you know, sometimes my son will call me out of the blue with like, you know, for no agenda other than to just say hello. And I actually celebrate that because it was not a 911 call. It was not, you know, <laughs> anything <laughs> of that. So the little things we got to celebrate, mm -hmm. you know, being here is a mm -hmm. celebration. Uh, Shabna, that reminds me of a conversation I had with uh, one of our 17-year-olds uh, today uh, um, who, who was struggling uh, this morning about uh, staying in treatment. And I was actually like, I was afraid that he was going to run down. It's rainy and foggy up here today. So I'm like, definitely, if you're going to go, don't go today. <laughs> um, but he came back and, and talked for like 45 minutes uh, it was just like this. I don't even think he took a breath for 45 minutes, and then he apologized. And I'm like, "This is what we're what we're here for. Like, you don't have to apologize. Just keep going. You need to keep going." And then he was, and then he said he forgot what it's like to just be able to just like open up. And so I had it was me and another staff uh, talking to him, and we were just like, "Keep going." Just like and like to be able to celebrate that with him, like in that moment. Um, was I, I found it to be remarkable because he was he said he's never had that opportunity um, and we just want to have this build those experiences with them you know so that way they're able to say you know what I know what it's like to just you know if I have to vent 
someone's going to listen to me. Hopefully someone's going to listen to me. I know what that's like. I have that, that template to figure out, okay, what do I need to say? It is incredible that my kid has a disease and I've found a way to look forward to getting together with a group of parents whose kids also have this condition. And there's laughing and there's cheering and there's smiling and there's storytelling. And I look forward to the next time. Um, thank you, everyone. It's, it's always so incredible. So good to be together. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. I can't believe how many families are suffering from this disease. I now know that addiction is a family disease. I thought no one in my family was an addict. I still feel scared to death every day. I don't know how to be a parent anymore. These past few years have been absolutely the toughest time of my entire life. My wife and I don't agree, and this is another big problem. I don't want this to be a secret anymore. That makes it even worse. If I have shame and guilt, how can my daughter ever get better? Being with other parents is being with people who really get it, and that helps me a lot. I've met some incredible people. I can help other people, and I feel better every time I just talk about all this stuff with my group. My life is turned upside down. Even when my son isn't doing so well, we seem to be okay. Talking with other parents helps me stay sane and not to feel so lost and alone. There are good people, good places to get help for my daughter and for our entire family. I have hope. I have to. I am not giving up my daughter. I want to help others. I've met some of the most special human beings. I'm very grateful. Talking with the other parents is helping me to stay sane.